Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Voorst, and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. And you're about to listen to uh, our final installment of a series that we did called Is This What I Signed Up For? And so in this series, we've been talking about submission, and that doesn't necessarily seem to be one of the things that we want to sign up for when it comes to just our life in general, but even, I would say, in our Christian faith, we don't necessarily want to submit, and yet, this is what we're called to as followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd still invite you to lean in, listen to this, and might um, might inform you, might inspire you in some ways. Um, so, so lean in and listen. But uh, I'm actually the one that gives the sermon, and I talk about submitting to each other. And uh, toward the end of the, the message, I give a video illustration, which you're obviously not going to be able to see, but I'm going to post the link in the show notes so that you can see it. It's a, it's a video illustration of uh, Bobby McFerrin. He's a musical artist, um, and he performs in front of a crowd, but uh, the video is called uh, Bobby McFerrin Plays the Audience. It's really interesting. You'll just have to click and watch. It's entertaining. It's funny. Uh, it's fascinating as it relates to music and the brain, all that good nerdy stuff. Uh, but I, I hope you enjoy this. Um, I also want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast. If you'd like to give to Life Church. Uh, there's a link in the show notes that you can do that as well. And then um, stick around because we're going to be doing a new series as we prepare for Christmas. It's called He Shall Be Called. We're going to go through the names of Jesus that uh, Isaiah gives us prophetically hundreds of years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. So without further ado, here's the sermon. Amen. And good to sing with you. Good to be together. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared Van Voorst, and I'm one of the pastors here. And welcome to anybody who's watching online. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And if you are just now tuning in, uh, I would invite you to share this. Share this experience. If these experiences have been meaningful to you, have impacted you in some profound way, share it with somebody else. They might uh, use some uplifting, some hope, some encouragement for their day. So welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, We are in a series and have been in a series called, is this what I signed up for? Is this what I signed up for? And that's typically a phrase we use when we get into something that's been maybe hard for a little while. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a job or some kind of situation where you're just like, "Ah, I'm not really sure this is what I signed up for. Is this what I signed up for? And we've been talking about it in the context of submission. Submission, it's a word in our culture we don't necessarily want to talk about a whole lot because usually it has a negative connotation with it, right? Submission. Is this what I signed up for? And so specifically, what we've done in these last couple of weeks, we talked about submission to the church, to church leaders. And that's kind of a hard passage, sort of an obscure passage that maybe we don't often see in the book of Hebrews that Nathan talked about. Then last week, we heard from Pastor Dan, and we talked about submission to government. What a wonderful time to talk about submission (laughs) to government, and that makes everybody feel just a little bit on edge, a little bit uncomfortable, but it's a wonderful message to hear about. Today, this week, we're going to be talking about a different kind of submission. We're going to be talking about submission to each other. Submission to each other. This comes straight from Scripture, uh, from the letter to the Ephesians, which we actually did a whole series going through the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, which is a church in Ephesus. And what it says here is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence 
for Christ. Now, he goes on, Paul, the, letter, the, the author of this letter, goes on to talk about specifically relationships in marriage. And then children with their parents and then slaves with their masters submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, you can go back and listen to the message that we gave in July about this specific passage, but today what we're going to be talking about is submission to each other, and that means any kind of relationship that involves followers of Jesus. So if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't consider yourself a Christian and you're here in this room or you're listening online, still tune in because uh, you might like to hold us Christians accountable for how we're supposed to be treating one another, okay? So we're going to be talking about submission to each other. And, and I think it's important to remind us what we heard last week from Pastor Daniel about this word submit. It's this Greek word, hupotasso, kind of a fun word to say, hupotasso. And it's this idea that we adjust ourselves, adjust ourselves under the authority, ultimately the authority of God, uh, but specifically what we've talked about the last two weeks is adjusting ourselves under the authority of church leaders and then ultimately government this last week. So how do we think about that in terms of adjusting ourselves underneath one another? That's a little bit different, right? But before I go any further, I just want to ask a question and get the temperature of the room, get the temperature online. Let me ask you so far as we've been talking about this idea of submission. You can answer honestly online if you want to. Is it hard for you? Is it hard for you to be submissive? It absolutely is for me. So I'll just give my answer. It's hard for me to be submissive. Let's talk about why that is. Well, submission in general of any kind, in any kind of relationship or with any kind of institution or authority is absolutely hard, especially, I think, in our culture, specifically American culture. I mean, if you think about the very uh, nature in which our country was founded is to no longer be in submission to British rule, right? Like, we were founded on not being submissive, but instead starting a new form of government, of the people, for the people, by the people, right? Like, not to be, submissive, uh, to, be, to be submissive under British authority. So being individualistic, being for our own liberties, is weaved into the very fabric of our culture. So it makes sense, right? It makes sense if you take that and you take the air that we breathe and you project that onto faith. Of course it's going to be hard to talk about being submissive when it's not our natural instinct, when it's not our natural biases in the way that we've grown up. And so when we talk about church leadership and we talk about government, like those are big macro levels of submission, right? They're, they're not necessarily sort of everyday kinds of things or kinds of relationships that we're thinking about. And so in a sense, it can be hard, but it's, it's not an everyday sort of thing. Today, when we're talking about being submissive to each other, that's a much more micro level. Like, that's every day, because we're every day in relationship with one another. It's going to be hard to talk about submission to each other. It's really hard. But here's the thing. It's all for the sake of our unity. Like, we want to be unified, again, remember, as followers of Christ. We want to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what did Nathan say just a couple weeks ago in this series? Unity only happens, only comes through submission. So we have to talk about this. We have to figure this out, but it's hard. 
It's hard. Some of you maybe are commenting online right now. Yeah, it's absolutely hard for me to be submissive. Why? Why do we think it's hard to be submissive? I think it's one of two reasons. One, we don't want to be submissive because we just don't want to give up control. Right? How many of you love control? Raise your hand. Look, you just got to raise your hand. You have, or some of you are like, I'm not going to raise my hand because I'm in control of my actions. I'm not going to do what he says. Right? Like, we want control. We don't want to give up control. It's really hard. And we think that giving up control is not what we signed up for. That's not what I signed up for. I'm in control. I want to make choices for myself. But the thing, the thing that we forget is that control is just an illusion. I think that's one of the reasons why we don't want to be submissive. We don't want to give up control. But I think there's an even harder reality. I think why it's harder to be submissive, and I think this is the biggest reason we're going to spend the rest of our time, is I think we simply just don't know how. I don't think we know how to be submissive because it hasn't been ingrained into our culture. And it certainly isn't ingrained into our faith. And so we have to talk about this. How do we be submissive? This whole message is going to be about the how. So that why? So we can attain to the unity that Nathan talked about and that Jesus talked about in John 17, which I'll come back to in just a bit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a different letter that Paul writes to the Colossian church. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, you're certainly welcome to do that. For those of you who pay attention online or in the room, we have uh, the YouVersion app that you can always uh, download on your phone and follow along in that way. But we're from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. It says this, Since God chose you, to be the holy people he loves. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ, rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let's unpack this just a little bit. First, he starts off by talking about the people that God has chosen. He's chosen you, chosen you to be a holy people he loves. He's chosen you for the sake of love. Like that's, that's got to be an inspiring and hope-filled encouragement to you this morning. God has chosen you to love you. He's picked you out so that he can love you. But for this purpose, put on something. Clothe yourselves with something. Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, if you are looking for an idea for a Christmas present, this is always a winner. It's a robe. Anybody uh, robe lovers in the room? Uh, robe lovers watching online? I, I have no shame. I'll wear a robe. Uh, and I actually bought this for my wife, but I brought it gray so that whenever she wasn't using it, I could use it. And because guys can wear gray and so can girls. Anyway, um, so I think about this verse, tenderhearted mercy, patience, gentleness, humility. Like these are good, good sounding words, things, you know, character that we want to aspire to. It just makes me feel warm and good and comfortable and secure, right? So I, I think about putting on clothes, clothe yourselves, with tender-hearted mercy, 
I think especially in this season in Michigan, it's like that kind of crisp weather where it's like, yeah, I could wear a robe. And, and some of you, you don't have to comment on this. Some of you just wear a robe and nothing else. We don't need to talk about that right now. Some of you are like me. You're like, well, I've got, you know, I've got a long sleeve shirt on. I got pants, but I could, you know, I could still wear a robe as well. And here's the thing about a robe is like you could put it on, but you could still move around, right? This isn't like a Snuggie. A Snuggie is a blanket with arms, right? You have to sit there and put the Snuggie on, but then you got to stay there to stay warm. A robe, you can put on, you can move about the house, and you could stay warm. You can even go outside, and your hair is all crazy. I don't have that problem. And pick up the newspaper and go on with your day. You can move about, right? Here's why I think this illustration is helpful. Paul says, clothe yourselves. Put on these clothes, because you're going to need to go about the community. You're going to need to go about the body. And, and you, wherever you go, you need to still have these clothes on you, these clothes that represent the character of Christ, tenderhearted mercy, and humility and gentleness, and patience. Wear it. Put it on. Now, why do we need to put something on? Well, because something has been taken off, actually. In, in the previous verses, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, which I didn't read, but I'm going to go back to, if you have a Bible, you can look at these verses as well. It says this, you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. You've taken it off. So now you're naked. You need to cover yourself with something else in its place. You need to replace your nakedness with something that's warm, that's secure, that's better. You've taken something off in order to put something on. And here's what he says in verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed. Here's the key. As you learn to know your creator and become like him. That's the key. We have to know Christ. We have to learn to know Christ. In other words, we have to know what Christ's clothes look like so that we can imitate it, so that we can wear what he wears, right? All of us follow, uh, to some extent, we follow some different influencers. Maybe we pay attention to what celebrities wear so that we can copy what they wear, and then we'll be just like them, right? Not even close, except, you know, our bank account maybe doesn't look the same, and, you know, the party life doesn't necessarily look the same. But if we're wearing the same clothes, at least we're a little bit close, Right? We look to influencers on social media to see what they're wearing so that we can wear what, we're, what they're wearing and we could look just like them, except that's just a worldly thing. That's a cultural thing. What, how much more when we look to Christ, when we look to, to what he's wearing, the, the Christ clothes of mercy and humility and patience and gentleness, we put on his clothes so that we look more like him but here's the thing, we have to know what he looks like. We have to grow in our understanding and our experience of who Christ is in order to know what he looks like so that we can wear the same things. We've got to put this on. And here's the thing, it goes on to talk about why that's important. Again, we're thinking about submission. And if we want to attain unity, unity only comes through submission. So these are the kinds of behaviors, this is the kind of character that we have to have on ourselves in order to pursue this kind of submission to one another. Let's keep on going. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance. In other words, things are going to go wrong. 
In your relationships, things are going to not be good. They're, they're not going to go well. You're going to have to actually prepare for things to go wrong. Make allowance for it. Give slack. Expect that things are going to go wrong in your relationships. People are going to fail you. Not if they fail you, then make allowance. No, be prepared ahead of time to give room for failure. Another translation says this, uh, bear with one another. B-E-A-R, not B-A-R-E. I know I talked about nakedness earlier. That's not what I'm going to illustrate. Bear with one another in love is another translation. Really, ultimately, what the Greek word here talks about is this idea of remaining. Stay. Bear with one another in love. Expect that things are going to get hard. And so stay. Don't peace out. Don't leave. Don't give up. Stay. Bear with them. This is really important for me. Uh, early on in my marriage, uh, when things got hard, some of the things that I didn't really understand about myself and understand about how I was wired is that when things got hard, I tended to avoid conflict, specifically in my marriage. And so we'd get in an argument, and I wouldn't know the next thing to say, and so I, just, I would just leave. I just walk out of our apartment and I go for a walk. Now, in my head, I was thinking that I was doing something that was okay, that I was removing myself from any further chaos or damage or destruction to the relationship, but ultimately it was actually adding more destruction because she saw it as just, oh, you're just, you're leaving, you're giving up. And it wasn't until till later on, till multiple years in the marriage that I had to come to realize, like, no, this is actually... This is kind of how I'm wired that I tend to avoid conflict, and that's not okay. I need to stay. I need to, to work through the conflict with her. We need to learn about one another. I couldn't just leave and have her not know when I was going to come back. This word is super profound for me in the context of my marriage relationship. To bear with one another in love, to stay. Don't give up. Don't just leave when things get hard. Now, for me, specifically, I'm still kind of wired that way, and so I had to work on a compromise. I had to talk to my wife about what this looks like. When things get hard, my fear is that I'm going to say something or do something that's going to add to the destruction of the relationship, and I don't want to do that. So I just have to communicate. I have to say, okay, I just, I just need a moment to process my thoughts and emotions. I'm just going to go in the other room, but I want to work through this, and I want to talk through this with you. I'll come back. I needed to communicate that I'm still going to stay. I'm not going to leave, even though things are getting hard. Submitting to one another is hard. Because when things get hard, there's always that temptation to want to run away. And I want to ask you, when things get hard for you in any relationship, do you run away? Do you leave when things get hard. Here's the thing. It says to bear with one another in love, to make allowance for each other's faults and forgive. Forgive one another. This is the key ingredient for how we submit to one another. Forgiveness has to be a key ingredient. It's powerful. It's healing. And it's hard. 
several years ago, I was working at another church, and I was in charge of the student ministries, and it was a large church. We had about 600 high school students in an auditorium, and I was giving a talk specifically about forgiveness, and about halfway through the message, maybe about 10 minutes into the message, I just decided I needed to stop. And what I realized is that I was getting lots of emails and phone calls from our small group leaders that were dealing with lots of relational issues within their small groups. And so that came to my mind as I was giving a message about forgiveness to a whole bunch of high school students. And I thought, you know what? And I said this on the microphone, we're we're just going to stop. We can talk about forgiveness all day long, but nothing's going to happen unless we just do it. We just have to do it. We just have to forgive. Some of us in the room need to ask for forgiveness, and some of us need to extend forgiveness. And I'm not going to speak any longer until we just do it. And so I'm going to stop talking, and I'm just going to back away. I'm going to sit down, and we're going to do it. And it was a huge, like, risk for me because I didn't know if anybody was going to actually do it. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I turned my microphone off, and I just sat down on the stage. And I look out, and there's this few seconds of awkwardness. And then all of a sudden, little by little, a student's standing up over there and walking across the room and sitting down and talking to the student over there. And then another student stands up and goes back there and talks to another student. And this student gets their phone out and starts texting somebody. And this student gets their phone out and calls somebody, calls their mom or their dad or their grandma or whatever. And all of this starts to happen. It's this beautiful moment. And there's this like murmur, but not like in a distracting way, but like this beautiful healing that's beginning to take place. And you begin to hear some sniffles and see some tears starting to roll down these high school students' cheeks. They just did it. They started forgiving one another, started asking for forgiveness where there was hurt, where there was pain, where there was brokenness. And after about 15 minutes, I just came back on stage and closed out the message. It was so powerful. It was so healing. What if we did that today? I don't have the luxury of time where that night we had like a whole nother hour of like small group time that I could sort of bleed into. We don't necessarily have that time right now, but I want to say this right now, Life Church, and to anybody watching online, we need to forgive. We need to forgive one another, that's anybody that's offended us. We need to ask for forgiveness where we've caused pain. And we need to do it right now. If there's somebody that you're thinking about right now, maybe you can't call them or text them right now, or maybe you can't get up and go and talk to them right now, but I want you to, whatever you need to do, if you need to get a phone out, if you need to get out a piece of pen and paper and write the name of that person down where forgiveness needs to happen, please do that right now. Don't wait another moment. Forgiveness is hard. But this isn't a suggestion from Paul. It's a command. It says this, Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We must. This is a command. Jesus tells this powerful story about forgiveness. Many of you probably have heard 
this story, or at least a version of this story. It's called The Prodigal Son. We've talked about it here before as well. It's this idea that this wealthy father has two sons. One of the sons wants his money early. He wants his inheritance, and so he gets it from his father, which is a huge, like, no, no, that's a huge slap in the face to his father, but his father does it anyway, gives him the money, and he goes and he spends all the money in wild living in a distant country, and then all of a sudden, all the money's gone, and a famine comes over the land that he's in. He's got nothing. He's destitute. He's starving. And he decides, you know what? Even the servants in my father's house have enough food to eat. I'm just going to go home and hope that I can at least work for him, hope that I can at least get some food. And so he decides he's going to go back home. And you can imagine what's going through his mind. He's probably afraid. He's, he's probably wondering, well, the father's maybe not even going to accept me. Maybe the father is going to bring harsh punishment on me. He's probably got all of these different fears that are going through his mind, but he's got his speech memorized about how he's going to say sorry, how he's going to say, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. And he returns, and before he has a chance to even get into his household and talk to his father, his father sees him a long way off and runs to him, which would have been a huge no-no in that culture for the father of nobility to run and to accept his son, but he doesn't care because he goes out and he does it and he welcomes his son even before the son has anything else to say. He puts a ring on his finger, a robe around him, and he gets a fattened calf and they have a party to welcome his son home. Here's the fascinating thing about that story, about the, the power of forgiveness the father already had it in his mind that he was going to forgive his son. Even before the son paid him back anything, even before the son owed him anything, even before the son has an opportunity to apologize, the father had already set his sights on forgiveness without expecting anything else in return except for one thing, just that his son would come home. That's all. That's all he needed. He just needed the son to come home in order for the forgiveness and the healing to be experienced. This is an incredible picture for who God is to us. He is ready to forgive regardless of any speech that you have rehearsed, regardless of whatever pain and brokenness that you have been an accomplice to. He's ready to forgive. And if that's the character of the Father, if that's the character of who God is and that's his willingness to forgive us, then you must have the same attitude. You must carry out that same forgiveness as followers of Jesus. But it's hard. It's hard to submit. It's hard to forgive. But we must do this. Let me ask you a question. When you ask for forgiveness or when you extend forgiveness, do you expect to be owed something? Does there have to be some kind of transaction? Is there some fear there? Maybe is there fear for how it might make you look? Maybe it changes your reputation a little bit. Is there fear that the other person, if you forgive them or if you ask for forgiveness, that they might be right We don't like to be wrong, do we? It's hard to forgive. But remember, the Lord forgave 
you, which I think is a perfect segue into the next verse. Like this forgiveness, this radical forgiveness that has to happen doesn't come in our own power. Verse 14, it says, above all, clothe yourselves in love. The love of Christ that has power to work in and through you, to be able to carry on this activity of submission and forgiveness. Above all, clothe yourselves in love. So, so far, we've clothed ourselves in tenderhearted mercy and patience and humility and gentleness, and all of that's well and good, right? But if you think about it, when you have a robe just like this and you're going about, uh, eventually it's just kind of loose, and if it's really cold outside, you still feel the coldness of the air. So what do you got to do? Well, you've got to get yourself a belt, right? You've got to tie it all together. I think about this idea of clothing yourselves above all with love to keep it together. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. When you get that robe closed and you get that belt tightened, now you're extra warm. Now you're extra secure. And you could go about in your day. Clothe yourselves in love, which binds us together. It holds it all together in perfect harmony. There's that word again, harmony. We talked about this a couple weeks ago as well. Paul uses these words a lot. Harmony is a, is a musical term, right? perfect harmony. Why is he using musical terms? Well, later on in verse 16, he's going to talk about music again. This is what he's going to say in verse 16. Sing. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. There's a reason we begin our time every single weekend with singing, because it positions our bodies, our hearts, our minds to hear from God, to be gracious to God, to be uh, full of gratitude toward God and what God is doing in our midst. I want to show you what I'm talking about and what I think Paul is talking about with this idea of being bound together in harmony and the importance of music. The music can teach us a lot. I want to show you a video here in just a second. Now, a couple weeks ago, I used a musical reference. I used Bobby McFerrin, his song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Well, I have a confession to make. I have another Bobby McFerrin illustration. It just happened to work out that way. Uh, I don't only love Bobby McFerrin, but he is a deep well of, of knowledge when it comes to music. Go ahead and take a look at this video. Talking about expectations? Expectations. What? Ba, ba. You see what he did there? You see why the people are laughing and why they're like, oh my goodness. He only taught them two notes. He taught them two notes by jumping up and down in two different positions. And then all of a sudden, he jumps to a new position and they all sing the same note. And it's a different note. It's a note in the progression. Ba, ba, ba. Right? Like they sing a different note that they hadn't been taught yet. This is phenomenal. This is actually fascinating what this means for the brain and how our brains function with the power of music. Music can teach us a lot about ourselves, especially in the context of community. And they all sing this same note that they weren't even taught. See, music has this ability 
to help us anticipate things that we haven't even maybe learned yet. Yet it's instinctual the next step we're supposed to take. We automatically know the next note in the progression. Now, some people in the crowd and maybe even in this crowd are musically inclined, right? We, we know music. We're familiar with music. We can carry a tune. There might be some other people who not, are not as musically inclined. But guess what? When they're surrounded by a crowd of people, they can adjust. Hupotasso. They can adjust to what they're hearing around them and match the pitch and sing the same note. So you've got this community of people, of singers, essentially, that listen to one another as they watch this person leading them and directing them to the, where they're not necessarily prepared to go. And yet, because they're all in unity and they're all listening to one another and they're watching their leader, they can all go to the next spot perfectly and make beautiful music. This is a wonderful picture for submission, submitting to one another. See, this isn't about power or control. Submitting to one another is for the purpose of making good music. I was in choir in high school growing up, and uh, we, we were, I feel like we were a really good choir. We got an opportunity to go and do this special thing in Carnegie Hall in New York. It was, it was a really cool thing, but we all were like trained hardcore by our choir director who was really, really good at his job. And he taught us, he ingrained this idea in us that we had to listen to one another. We couldn't just hear the sound of our own voice. We had to hear that too, but we had to listen to one another in order to match each other. But we also had to keep our eyes fixed on our director the entire time so that we could keep the right tempo and know where we were going in the progression of the song. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus in community. We all have this common goal, right? That we're all going after, that we're all looking to Jesus. There's a unity in our commonality. We call it community. It's this idea that we all look to Jesus as our choir director, and yet we all simultaneously listen to one another as followers of Jesus, to sharpen one another, to grow with one another. We listen, and we sing we make a beautiful song and we follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to be bound together in perfect harmony if we love one another. Nathan said this from John 17 a couple weeks ago, may they experience such perfect unity. Why? That the world will know. That the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is not just for us. This is for the world. If we are unified through submission to one another, the world begins to know the love of Christ. And lastly, verse 15, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Why does Paul need to say that? Why does he need to say the peace that comes from Christ? Why can't he just say, let peace rule in your hearts? Well, there's a context here. He's speaking to a group of people who are under oppression of the Roman Empire. All they understand is the way of Rome and the way of Caesar, the ultimate emperor, the ultimate ruler of the Roman Empire. And they had a saying in Latin, Civi pacem parabellum, which means if you want peace, prepare for war. So according to the Roman Empire, the only way to achieve peace is by going to war and defeating your enemies. 
Paul has a different spin on it. He says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Christ, who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Christ, who says, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Christ, who says, submit to one another, right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, according to Paul. In other words, in our relationships with one another, we don't pick up our tools of war. We put them down so that we can be peacemakers by submitting to one another. Life Church, if we don't submit to Christ and to each other, the outside world looking in only sees us at war with each other. And you know what they say? That's not what I want to sign up for. If there's division in the church and they're supposed to be the people that, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Not by our love. They're going to know us by our division and not want to sign up for that. But if we submit to each other, if we submit to each other in love for perfect harmony, in unity with one another, around a common goal. Man, what could that look like? What would that look like? That the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Church, I believe that we can do this. I believe that we could submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do we do this? I want to recap. I want to share some action steps for you. And I want you to take these seriously as you go into your week especially into the holidays that have already started up. Maybe there's been some tension after Thanksgiving. Maybe, maybe not because you weren't able to get with your families as normal. <laughs> so maybe there isn't as much tension, but maybe you had some Zoom calls. Maybe there's some disagreement on certain things. We just came out of or are still in a, tentious, a contentious political year, right? Like there's all kinds of reasons to be tense and to maybe not submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do we do this? I'm going to give you some action steps. First one, put on your clothes. Put, put on your clothes. I know they say speakers should, if they're nervous, to picture everybody in the audience naked. I don't see you as that, okay? I'm saying put on your clothes, the clothes of Christ. Tenderhearted mercy. Gentleness, humility, and patience, but above all, love. Put on your clothes so that you can submit to one another, so that you have the kind of character that Christ embodies in order that you can submit to one another. You can do this in a variety of different ways. You can grow in this character through serving. If you're looking for a way to grow in this kind of character, you can go to our Now page right now. Click on Volunteer. Sign up to volunteer here at the church or online in some capacity. When you serve, you connect to the heart of God and you begin to understand the character of Jesus. Put on your clothes. Number two, practice forgiveness. Why do I say practice? This is something that we learn throughout the rest of our lives. We gotta keep on figuring this out. We gotta keep on putting it into practice, this idea of forgiveness. Don't wait another day. If there is somebody that you need to ask for forgiveness from or you need to extend forgiveness because of brokenness in the relationship, 
Do it today. And then lastly, participate in the song. Participate in the song. What do I mean by that? If we want to achieve this perfect harmony that Paul talks about, we have to listen to each other as followers of Jesus. We have to learn from one another. We have to really hear people and not just wait for our next turn to speak so that we can tell them how wrong they are and how right we are. No, we have to listen. Actively listen to one another. Put on your clothes. Practice forgiveness. Participate in the song. Listen to one another as we look to our director, Jesus. We're going to sing here in just a second. But some of you, I mentioned, maybe aren't, you don't necessarily consider yourselves followers of Jesus. Maybe you're waiting to see if this is what you want to sign up for. Maybe you're watching online, you're in the room, you're wrestling with this idea. I want to ask you to boldly take a step of faith and to let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. And if you want that peace, if you want Christ in your life, I want to invite you to pray along with me. Would you pray with me? God, I want to step out in faith. I don't even know if you're real. I look around me and all I see is chaos in our world. And I've looked in so many places for some kind of peace. But today, I will submit to you and to your peace. God, I want you to rule in my heart because of the work of Christ who ultimately submits himself to a cross so that I can be forgiven of all of my sin, past, present, and future. So Lord, I submit myself to you. In Jesus' name.